As always, if you have your copy of God's Word with you, we'd love for you to find Mark, the fourth chapter. We're preaching verse by verse through the book of Mark. And many times people get to this part of Scripture and they begin to question, how does this fit in or, or what does this have to do? But you need to know that when the Word of God was written by Mark or Paul or whoever the Spirit of God led to write, they wrote it as a letter. Uh, they didn't put the chapters in there, the titles of those. And so where we think things broke up, many times the writer was still talking about the same thing. It ties into the verses before, it ties into the verses after. The most dangerous way that you can study the Word of God is picking this verse and that verse and just not looking at what the Bible says before or after. And so if we're really wanting to understand what we're looking at today, we have to go back and remember what was in chapter 3. Jesus shows up to this extremely religious culture, a culture that has stopped loving God but has started loving religion. They've started loving the things of the Old Testament and they've not loved Him. And Jesus shows up in chapter 3 healing on the Sabbath saying, hey, guys, what you're doing, you're doing the right things, but you're not doing it for the right reasons. Your heart is not loving me. He says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the one that you should be worshiping, not the day of the week. And we know that the Pharisees begin to harden in their hearts and say, you know, we're going to destroy him. We're going to ruin him. We're not going to change even though... God is with us. He goes on and we look at how Jesus is healing people and multitudes are coming, so many that he, he can't even stay on the edge of the shore. He has to get on a boat. And those people were there not because they loved Jesus, but they wanted something from Jesus. And then we look in that same chapter and Jesus talks to his 12 disciples and he says, hey, I'm getting ready to send you out into a lost and dying world, into a world that's going to hate you, but I don't want you to get discouraged. I don't want you to give up when people don't respond or people reject you. And let's be honest, as Christians, most of us, if we really love God, want to be part of the solution, not the problem. How can I help my community in a time of loss? How can I change the marriage that I'm in? How can I help my children to love God? That's our hearts if we know God. If you're here this morning and you say, I don't care. I don't care if God uses me or not. I don't care about the people around me. Then today I want you to know something, that you're not a child of God. Because we love the things that God loves as a child of His. He loves the lost. He loves the hurting. He loves the broken. And so as a child of God, I love those things as well. And so then we look at how Jesus was teaching about the unpardonable sin. When God works and moves in a life, when God works and moves in a heart, when God gives someone an opportunity to hear the gospel and they say no, they reject that gift of salvation. And so last week Jesus then explains why people don't believe, why some people do believe, why some people are used by God, why some people don't. And He gave us the parable of the four soils. And that first soil was raw, it was solid, it was hard. It was that ground that had been walked upon. And Jesus says, that is those who have hardened their hearts. And today I ask you, have you hardened your hearts to the things of God? Have you already said, I'm not going to repent, I'm not going to trust, I'm not going to change, no matter what that overwet preacher screams at me today? Because friends, if that's you, you're in a dangerous place. The second soil we looked at was stony. 
And so when the gospel was preached, the word of God was given, people immediately said, I want that. But, but yet, when the sun came out and began to beat on that plant, the plant died because it had no roots. And those are those people who, yes, I want God as long as He will give me this blessing or He will take care of this need, but don't ask anything from me, Lord. And he says those were never really saved either. The third soil is the soil that the seed falls on that grows up among the thorns. But the thorns begin to choke out that plant. It begins to choke out that fruit and it dies. And Jesus says those are the ones who claim to love me, but when the things of this world... Well, God, I love you, but why did I go through this? Or God, I love you, but there's some other opportunities in my life. I'm going to choose those above Jesus. And so he says, that's bad soil too. None of those are children of God. But that fourth soil mentioned is the good soil. And the seed that gets in it are those who respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Those who respond to the working of God in their life and they say, yes, Lord, I want you as my Savior. I want you as my Lord. I want you to lead me, guide me, and direct me. And that right there is what we're going to look at this morning because today, if you're a parent, God wants to do great things in you to influence your spouse and your children. Today, God wants to do great things through you to impact the people that you work with, that you live next to. God is all about showing off what He can do to lost people, to other people. And so if you would stand with me this morning, I want to read verses 20, which is where we finished last week, and through verses 21 through 25. And if you would stand, if you're able, if you're not, we perfectly understand. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. Some 30, some 60, and some 100. Also, he said to them, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Then he said to them, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given." For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from here. If you would pray with me. Father, this morning we thank you for your word. We thank you for what we have seen. We thank you for all the lives that are being changed. For the people who are stepping out in obedience to you, Lord. That's only something that you can do. Father, I pray this morning that there's nothing in my heart or my life, no sins that have been unrepented of, Lord, I pray that you would forgive me of anything, Lord, that would grieve or quench your spirit in this time. And Lord, thank you for your spirit and your word. And Lord, I pray for receptive hearers and softened hearts today, Lord. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So the question is, what is God asking of me? What is God asking of you to be used by Him? to make a difference for Him. And what we see from this passage of Scripture is very simple. It's very easy to understand, but it is so difficult to put into practice. 
Three things I want to show you this morning very quickly, if possible. In verse 21, that God has a purpose for you. God has a purpose for you. You might be saying, well, Jake, I, I've got so much baggage. I've made so many mistakes. I've went through such hardship. How could God use someone like me? Or maybe you're here today and saying, well, Jake, I'm just as white as the freshly fallen snow. God doesn't need me. Or how can He use me? Maybe you're here today and you're saying, Jake, I don't want God to use me. I'm happy where I'm at right now. God's got enough of me. But wherever you're at on that spectrum, know that God has a purpose for you. Look what it says in verse 21. Also He said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? So He just gets done talking about children of God who produce 30 and 60 and 100 fold. And then what that means is the spiritual fruit in your life and the spiritual fruit as you go to lost people that you are living and preaching the truth of God. And what he says is, God does not save you to hide you. God does not change you to put you in a closet. God saves you so that He can show a lost and dying world that there is something about you that is different than them. There is something about you that they don't have. There's something that you have that they're missing. There's a joy that they don't have, a peace that they don't have. There's a, an understanding and confidence that, that they don't have. And it's because of what God has done through you. I'm going to make this statement. I made it in the first service. You can take it for what it's worth. I believe the reason the church has so little power and we see so little of God is because pastors are so afraid of losing people or offending big givers or having to deal with their best volunteers quitting to make this statement. If you are a child of God, everyone should be able to see that there is a difference in you. You say, well, Jake, my light doesn't shine very bright sometimes. I get it. I sit at ball games and lose my temper. I can come home and I don't think the house is as clean as it should be and I can lose my temper. Someone could cut me off in traffic and I can think, I wish you'd just run off into the ditch and leave me alone, right? I, I can be that person. But yet the Spirit of God, when He saves you, when He loves you, when He changes you, you need to know something. There is never a time when we can look and say, children of God are on secret assignment. There should never be a time when we look at people and say, I know you're a good giver, I know you're faithful to come to church, I know you volunteer, but you should be able to live however you want when you leave here. It doesn't work. And what Jesus says is, God saved you, God has produced fruit in you for people to see it in your life. An example of this, as a father with six daughters, my girls should know that I am a child of Jesus Christ. And when I die someday, however long that is, when they go to the funeral, my children should not say, well, he was a preacher on Sunday. But boy, he was mischievous on Monday. And he was, and he was wicked on Tuesday. He was a liar on Wednesday. He was a luster on Thursday. He was a drunker on Friday. And boy, he was just downright cruel on Saturday. 
When I die and my children stand beside my coffin someday, they should say, I don't, didn't always agree with my dad. I might not have always even liked my dad. But man, he prayed for me. Man, man he lived his faith at home. He loved my mom like Jesus loves the church. I didn't always like it when He corrected me. I didn't always like it when He encouraged me. I didn't always like it when He spoke truth into me. But He practiced what He preached. And for far too long, let's be honest, we have blamed the difficulties in our marriage, the tragedies of stubborn children. We've blamed the co-workers that we live with as an excuse to say, I don't have to have my faith on display. And what Jesus says, you're either producing fruit for the world to see or you're not His. You see, that's what we see from this passage of Scripture this morning. You say, well, Jake, what if the people in my life don't produce fruit? That's not your responsibility. It's not your responsibility to force your children to believe that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. It's not your responsibility to make your wife want to save your marriage at the same rate that you do. But friends, it's my responsibility as the Spirit of God deals with me to say, God, what do you want from me? God, how can you use me? God, how can you work through me? God, how can you use me to make a difference in the lives of other people? You say, Jake, I don't want my light on a lampstand. I don't want people to know that I'm a child of God. I don't want my co-workers to know that I'm living my life for Jesus. Then friends, there's a problem in our hearts. There's a problem in my life. Men, I'm going to say this example for you first. I can promise you if you're at work tomorrow and you're standing around the water cooler or the coffee machine or the break room and some beautiful woman walks by and the three guys you're sitting with start going googly eye over them and making comments about them and you say something like, I can't look, I'm happily married, it's lust and I shouldn't do it. They are not going to look at you and say, Thank you for being the moral compass that we need. They're going to say something like, what's wrong with you? Do you bat for the wrong team? They're going to mock you. They're going to laugh at you. And friends, that's okay. We've taught our children that they need to live the examples that they're supposed to at school so they can be witnesses to the people that they go to school with. But friends, we have long forgot that that's our mission as adults to be salt and light when we go into our place of employment. Here's one. When the rest of your employees are being lazy and everybody else is taking advantage of whoever you work for, and you say, well, everybody else is doing it, I'm going to do it too. I can promise you when the Spirit of God begins to convict you that the Bible says that we ought to work unto the Lord. We ought to be the best employee, the most loyal employee, the most faithful employee, the best example of employee. Your co-workers are going to look at you and say, Thank you for setting the example. I have been so guilty of being lazy. I have been so guilty of not doing my job. Thank you for shining light into our lives. No! They're going to call you a brown nose. They're going to call you a suck-up. They're going to call you all kinds of things that I probably shouldn't say, all right? And that's okay because you're not responsible for how people receive the truth. But you and I are responsible for how we live it 
and how we proclaim it. And what has happened is we have not wanted to be light when it's really dark. We've wanted to look like the world, talk like the world, act like the world. And friends, there is no power in a Christian's life, in a church, when we are not willing to let God show off what He is doing in us. 1 Peter, the third chapter, is one of the most difficult times in the early church's history. They're suffering for their faith. They're dying for their faith. They're going through all these hardships. It says in 1 Peter chapter 3, And who is he who will harm you if you will become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. But, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. I'm going to give you an example of this and we're going to pick on me. When people make an accusation against you, is there any truth to it? If I was to say that I have been accused of being stubborn from time to time, you would all say, Amen. I always like to think I'm doing it for the right reasons, but it doesn't always come across that way. And so my question to you is, whatever accusation the world throws at you, are you giving them a foothold to make it? Well, they say, well, he's just as lazy as we are. He's just as dishonest as we are. He's just as lustful as we are. She's just as strong-willed and stubborn as we are. Is there any truth in the life that you and I are living? Because, friends, God has a purpose for you. Even if you don't think you can make a difference where you work, even if you don't think God can use you in your marriage, even God, you don't think God can use you in ministry, because of all the other stuff going on, remember today that God has a purpose for you. No one else can change that. No one else can influence it more than you can decide today that I'm going to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to make Him known. I'm going to be who He wants me to be. I'm going to serve Him. I'm going to honor Him in my life. Second thing I want to show you this morning is this, that not only does God have a purpose for you, God gives us a command to listen. God doesn't want you to be unaware. God wants you to know that He loves you, that He has a purpose and a plan for you. Look what it says in verse 22 and 23. For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Who's he talking about here? He's talking about that original group of people the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who on the outside looked so religious. They looked so spiritual. They looked so churchy. But Jesus says their hearts are cold and dead. They're like whitewashed tombs looking perfect on the outside, but dead on the inside. And He says, what is this simple truth? That friends, it doesn't matter what anyone thinks about you and your relationship with Jesus. You can convince your wife that you're saved. You can convince your kids that you're saved. You can convince the people you sit in church with that you're saved. 
But God says one day all truth is going to be revealed. All of us are going to be found out. The light of the gospel is going to be shown into each and every one of us and the truth will come out. That's why the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that some will make it willingly here, making Jesus the Lord and Savior of their life. But others, God's going to make. Look what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 8-11. through 11. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Just stop right there. What he is saying is, it doesn't matter if I believe that God is God, He still is God. It doesn't matter if this church will get honest and humble ourselves before the Lord and acknowledge Him, He is still God. He sits on the throne of heaven, whether we mock Him, whether we deny Him, whether we love Him, we can acknowledge Him, but we cannot change Him. All right, He is God before you were born. He will be God after you were dead. He, was God. he has always been God. And what He says, because what Jesus did for you by dying on the cross, being buried, rising again, He is the object and the person of our worship. Jesus Christ and Him alone. And He says because of that, in verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in the earth and of the earth and of under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because Jesus Christ is the ultimate authority. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He says that when those that are in heaven, they're going to be singing all about Him. Those of us that are on earth, we are going to have to either acknowledge Him willingly or He will make us acknowledge Him at some point. And for even those that have died and gone to hell on the day of judgment, that great white throne, even those will have to admit that He is Lord and He is Savior. He says whatever we do in our lives, whatever we think in our lives, we can, we can do all of this other stuff. But He says everything hidden will be revealed. God will shine light into my heart, into yours, what that means today is that all of us must make a decision when the gospel is preached. You say, Jake, I don't even know what the gospel is. The gospel is this, that you and I are sinners. That we're on our way to hell because God will not allow sin into His presence. He's holy and perfect in every way. But knowing that we had no hope, God loved us so much that He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to be born of a virgin, to live a perfect life and willingly go to the cross. And when He went to the cross, He took your sin and my sin and the punishment for that sin upon Himself. And He died. He died taking the judgment of God, being buried. Three days later, by the power of God, He arose, conquering sin and death and the grave. And then He sent the Spirit of God into this world to convict us and deal with us. And as the Spirit of God deals with you, the Bible says if you'll repent of your sins, call upon the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you shall be saved. He says that's it. That's the only way to be saved. It's the only way to find forgiveness. But the third and final thing, 
God has a purpose for your life. God gives a command to listen. The third one is probably the hardest. You have to trust God to produce results. You have to trust God to produce the results. Look what it says in verses 24 and 25. Then he said to them, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you will use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. What that means this morning is if you are here and you're a Christian, you are a born-again child of God. If you're willing to let God use you honestly, if you're willing to allow God to deal with the sin in your life first, if you're willing to say, yes, Lord, I want you to use me to make a difference in my life, in the lives of other people, what he says is you'll be given more. You say, wait a second, Jake, if you preach the gospel, that means that more people have got to be saved? No. But what it does mean is that God will give me more opportunities to share the gospel. It will allow God to give me more conversations about the gospel. You say, Jake, well, you should just tell everybody about Jesus. You're right. But I'm going to tell you what, unless God ordains your steps and God has prepared the hearer that you are going to, nothing can be done, friends. But I can tell you, if you'll be faithful, God says, I will give you more. What does that mean as a father? You can absolutely, as a dad, say, it's not my problem. My wife doesn't listen. My kids don't listen. I'd rather do my hobbies. My family is fine. And friends, what it says there is what little you have will be what? Taken away. Your ability to witness to your kids, to lead your family, to be who God wants you to be, it says it's going to dwindle away. But today, if you fall under the conviction of the Holy Spirit's dads and you say, you know what? My marriage is worth fighting for. My children are worth fighting for. I can't make them, but I can be used by God to influence them. I want that in my life. What God says is He'll give you what? I got to speak up, I'm deaf. He'll give you more. More opportunity to pour into your kids, to pour into your marriage, to pour into your family. Moms, you say, well, Jake, you just talked about the deadbeat I'm married with. What am I supposed to do? Now, make sure you want to hear this, all right? You've got to love him. You've got to pray for him. You've got to be that Christian example of what a godly woman should be like. Does that mean all of them are going to get saved? Absolutely not. But the Apostle Paul said some husbands will be won because of the gospel influence of their wives. Why is that? Because those who want it, those who are willing, God says, I'll give you more. Now what most of us think in that sense is, I want more of the blessings but what God says is, you can't produce fruit and neither can I. But what I can do is be used by God to give opportunities, to make a difference in people's lives, to be there for the hurting and the broken. You say, what does that mean for me? How can I as an individual who loves God and wants to make a difference, what do I have to do today? 
glad that you asked. And if you didn't ask, that's okay. But friends, I want you to know that that shows that there's something wrong. In Luke, the sixth chapter, Jesus is teaching some of the most difficult verses in all of the Bible. Difficult not to understand, but difficult to live out. In Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 27, Jesus is talking about loving your enemies. Loving the people who hate you. Loving the person that strikes you on the cheek. Loving the person that says, I want your cloak. Uh, loving the sinner who, who is living in a lifestyle that you hate. He says, this is how you have to love them. And then he goes down in verse 43 and says, for a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. And he says, you, it's just one way or the other. And you say, well, Jake, how can I go from loving people, caring about people, to being a true that bears good fruit? Well, it's in the verses in between. Look at verse 37 today, because whether you know this or not, there's someone in your life that God wants to use you to give them an opportunity. An opportunity to see what real love looks like. An opportunity to hear the gospel from someone that they believe. An opportunity to be used to influence your children and grandchildren for the Lord. It starts in verse 37 and says, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. Don't miss this. The idea of this is as the bucket gets full, or the, the grain bin gets full, or the truck gets full, as it fills up, you press it down, you shake it, you get as much as you can in. There is no space in that container that's empty. And as it begins to fill, begins to fill, begins to fill, it eventually, when there's no room left, it just begins to pour over. And what God says is, if you're willing to forgive people and love people and live for Him, He will give you the blessings so much that it will run over. What is that blessing? The opportunity to be used by Him. It's not talking about just money. It's not talking about your stock portfolio. It is saying that whatever you will give to God, however you will use what God has given you, He will work in such a way that if I want to be the godly husband that God wants me to be, and God, I'll give up my sin, and I'll give up my pride, and I'll serve my wife, and I'll love my children, and I'll, and I'll be the man God you want them to be. What He says, not me, is that I will open up the windows of heaven and I will pour out blessings into your fatherhood, into your manhood, into your livelihood of who you are as a child of God that you cannot contain. Wives, if you want that for your husbands and your children, you can't, it doesn't say you just get it because you want it. It says you've got to give it because God, I'm willing to give everything I have for you. Lord, I'm willing to get rid of my pride. Lord, I'm willing to humble myself. Lord, I'm willing to forgive even though I've been hurt. And so many times we'll tell people, well, you shouldn't forgive them because of what they've done to you. You shouldn't give that person a second chance. You shouldn't, you shouldn't see they have any value because what they've done to you. But what God says is, if you'll forgive, 
And if you'll say, God, whatever you want of me, I'm yours. What he says is what? It will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And as a father, that's all I want. I want my children to see God working in me, not at the bottom of a bucket, but overflowing. Overflowing. I want my wife to see me as a husband who doesn't just have a little dribble of God's love, but it's overflowing. It's overflowing. I want the people that I come into contact with to see God's blessing and how I love them and how I'll care for them in such a way that it's just what? Overflowing. Most of us don't know when there's a small trickle of a water leak in our house. But I'm telling you, when it comes flowing out the toilet, you know there's something wrong. But on the flip side of that, when it sprinkles, you can be outside. Not a big deal, right? But I'm telling you, when it comes to downpour, you know the first thing I'm thinking about? i got to get out of the rain. My hair powder's going to run. I'm walking around like this. People say, what are you doing? Got to keep the rain out of my hair powder. Don't want it running down my forehead, all right? Why? Because when the showers are coming down, there's no hiding it. And for too long as God's people, we have not been willing to give God everything. To say, God, however you want to use me, use me. God, if you want to send me to the person I can't stand the most, send me. God, if you need to take everything that I think is important in my life away from me so that you can use me, God, use me. But what I really believe it's mostly talking about is the sin in our own life. And this is where it's going to get really uncomfortable, but if you'll give me three minutes, I'll be done. In Luke chapter 6, right after that verse about God talking about giving you more than you can handle, more blessings than you can contain, the overflow of His goodness, He gives them this parable in verse 39. And He spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite. What he says is for far too long we have went around trying to find the faults in others without let God dealing with the faults that we have in our own life. You hear it all the time, judge not. It literally says, judge not. And, and you will go on and even say, that's why I don't talk about God at work because I know I've got some planks in my own eye. That's why I'm not the husband at home that I should be because I've got some sins in my life that I haven't let God have yet. What happens, it becomes our crutch not to be who God wants us to be. Well, Jake, my sin. I, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want the extra judgment of God. Well, friends, don't stop reading what this verse says. Because look what it says in verse 42. Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First... He gives us a list of what we must do if we want to be right with Him and receive the blessings that He has for us. 
first remove the plank from your own eye. That means before I talk to Brian Henderson about being overweight, I have to acknowledge that I am what? Overweight! Before I criticize Logan about something in his life, I have to make sure that there's nothing in my life. Right? Jealousy has a full head of hair, all right? And I'm over here using hair powder. But I have to be willing, whatever it is, God deal with me first. But don't miss what that verse finishes and says. First remove the plank from your own eye. And if. And maybe. And it probably won't happen. What does it say? And? Don't miss this. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. The Bible never says that we are to not call out sin in the church, in the world, in our own family, in our own marriage. But what God says is you better make sure that it has changed you first before you become the religious police of your day. Is it wrong to preach about premarital sex? Absolutely not. The church needs to get back to it to teach that anything outside of marriage is wrong, but we better make sure that we're not living it first. That we are doing what God has asked us to do. I better not stand up here and preach to you about the seriousness of marriage and how you should love your wife and care for her if I'm not first willing to what? Love and care for my wife. And what has happened is we are not willing to let God deal with our sin. And so we're not willing to proclaim to a lost and dying world that God can forgive them, God can love them, God can save them. What we tell ourselves is, I'm just a sinner and I'm not to judge. And what God says is, oh no, no, you're mine. I'm going to produce some fruit in you. Some 30, some 60, some 100. And when your sin begins to creep in and try to cut off what I'm doing in your life, the Spirit of God lives within you and He's going to start convicting you. He's going to start dealing with you. He's going to start working in you. And when you get ready to get up and say, that's wrong, God says, oh, right here, Jake. Let it change your heart first. But then, when I'm willing to say, yes, Lord, I was wrong, guess what He wants me to do? And then, and then, I'm sent to who? You. You're sent to me. The reason that Satan is devouring so many people in this church and in churches all around it is this. We won't let God deal with our sin. And we don't have any confidence to go talk to anybody else about theirs. You say, well, Jake, I don't agree with you. Well, then you're wrong. That's what it says. If I'll remove the plank in my own eye, which is the Spirit of God convicting me, dealing with me of my sin, and I'm willing to go to the people that I love the most in Jesus and tell them the truth of the gospel, the truth about sin, then what has God promised to do? Pour it out. God will pour out blessings and blessings and blessings that I can not contain. You want to know why we don't see people saved? It's because we've got so much sin in our own lives. We're embarrassed to talk about a God who can set us free. We've got so much sin that we're hiding in our own hearts and lives that we're not willing to stand and declare to a lost and dying world, He can change you. We've got so much fear in our hearts 
that we're not willing to stand up and for a lost and dying world and says, you don't have to be afraid because God is enough. But if this church will allow the Spirit of God to deal with us as individuals and say, Lord, forgive me, change me, use me, Lord, produce in me what you want. Friends, God will use you in such a way that you won't even be able to contain it. And that should be our prayer. That God uses us in such a way that not all might believe, but that might all see there is something different about the fruit there. There is something different about the people there. I don't agree with them. I don't always like what they're saying. But there is no doubt that God is doing something right there in the hearts of you and the hearts of me. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, to know I know today that it's not easy, it's not popular. God, it's your word. So Lord, today I pray that you would be dealing with your people first. Lord, that you would be convicting us first. Help us to see that we are the ones robbing us of the blessings that you have for us. Not money, not fame, but the spiritual blessings, Lord, that you want us to have. Lord, I pray this morning for the marriages, for the parents, for the grandparents that are here today, Lord, and their kids need them to be the light, to be the fruit bearers in their family. Lord, today that they would remove whatever sin that's grieving your work in their life. Father, today I pray for those that are trying to be that light. They're trying to be that example, but Lord, they're struggling. They're ready to give up. They don't see the results that they want to see. Lord, that today you would remind them that they can't quit. You are the only one who gives the increase, Lord, that we just need to be faithful. And Lord, finally, for those that are here today that are lost, Father, for those that are here today that have never trusted You, Lord, there's nothing I can say but Your Spirit at this time, Lord, working, convicting, moving. God, You can show them that they are loved, that You died for them, that there's no other way, Lord, and through You. And so Lord, I pray that Your Holy Spirit is working and moving in this place today. And Father, if there is anything in my heart today, any sin, any selfishness, any pride, I ask Your forgiveness. And Lord, I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.